Hi, it's Jennifer Diane Ghostin, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. You may have wondered what reunion looks like from an adoptee's point of view, or be embarking upon taking that journey yourself to search for your first family, or simply want confirmation that you are not alone in your experience, wherever you are on the path of healing and pushing through a trauma. Wouldn't it be empowering to have many of your burning questions answered here? Today's recording is a bit different from previous episodes because my guest, Erica Hayasaki, is an award-winning journalist who spent five years researching and getting to know identical twins, Isabella and Ha, from Vietnam, who were separated shortly after their birth. Isabella is a transracial, transnational, or intercountry adoptee in the U.S. with an adopted sister, Olivia, 10 months younger than the twins, from the same country and orphanage. Erica's book released this year is titled Somewhere Sisters, a story of adoption, identity, and the meaning of family. It centers the adoptee voice in the narrative through interviews and interactions with the twins, Olivia, and others. Alice Stevens, the author of the novel Famous Adopted People, co-founder of the Adoptee Literary Festival, a book reviewer, and a columnist for the Washington Independent, on November 10, 2022, stated, Somewhere Sisters should be required reading for anyone considering intercountry and or transracial adoption. Even-handed and balanced, Hayasaki's book is a vivid, searing portrait of the complex realities behind the simple saviorism that is so often the impetus for foreign adoptions. Quote, unquote. Somewhere Sisters tells the girls' incredible story from their perspectives, challenging conceptions about transnational and transracial adoption, Asian and Asian American identity, the nature versus nurture debate, poverty and privilege, and what it means to give a child a good life. Allow me to introduce you to someone who I've come to know has a deep interest and appreciation for learning about an adoptee's lived experience. Through her research, she better understands the challenges those of us separated from our biological families face and wanted to share her findings with the world. Erica was willing to delve into some of the toughest issues within our community related to adoptee citizenship, how adoptee experiences fit into a complex understanding of identity, and for mainstream to know that adoption is much more complicated and traumatic than popular narratives have conveyed in the past. Hi, Erica. How are you doing today? Hi, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. I have to say, though, I have been thinking about this conversation that we're going to have and and I think it's probably going to be a little bit challenging for me because I know you're not an adoptee yeah. and usually that's the space I'm in with the podcast but I'm really thrilled to have this this time with you that you're taking away from all the things that you do and are a part of most of the listeners I would say are adoptees 
and would like to hear your perspective about a lot of things. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for reaching out to me. I really appreciate it. I actually feel honored um, because I think about the author, journalist, author, Gabriel Glaser, who Mm -hmm. wrote American Baby, A Mother, A Child, and the Shadow History of Adoption. And when the adoption community heard from her and read her book, it was so well received. Mm -hmm. And so I appreciate the, just the fact that you, like her, are reaching out to mainstream to, um, as you put it, yeah. and this is what really inspired me to have this conversation, is that you want to center the adoptive voices in the narrative. So uh, on behalf of the adoption community, adoptees in particular, we thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. That was that was very important to me through the project. And Gabrielle Glazer read the book, and also I appreciated her you know, um, support and uh, certainly the adoptees um, who have read it and have been very involved actually in this book. So um, it's such an honor to me to have to have that representation as part of it. And um, so thank you for having me and for having me on this discussion. I really appreciate your voice and your podcast. And I think it's great to be here. And you're an award-winning journalist. I, I'm always interested in hearing from journalists. I think journalism is probably one of the most difficult careers. Um, and it reminds me of my career in law enforcement in that you are really digging deep to get the answers, the correct answers, the truth. And yeah. I think that's so important in any conversation to know exactly what's what and and I know you're a professor in the literary journalism department at the University of California, Irvine, and you yeah. have um, you've published other works before Somewhere Sisters, a story of adoption, identity, and the meaning of family. So I'm just in awe of all that you're doing, along with having five-year-old twin boys, <laughs> <laughs> identical twins, right? Yeah, yeah, and I have a nine-year-old daughter, too, so okay. you know, it is a busy life. <laughs> yes, it is. I, I'm like, how do you do it? But as we were t- talking before I pushed record, sometimes that's just the way our life is going, and yeah, and yet we manage it. Yeah, yeah, maybe I, maybe I thrive in a little bit of, you know, challenge. <laughs> maybe that's what that is. <laughs> Makes it, keeps it exciting. Well, full disclosure here, transparency on yes. my end. I have not finished your book, and, and I actually was going to, yeah. like, cancel today because I had, <laughs> and I didn't feel prepared. But then I thought, sure. no, I, I, I'm going to, we're going to have this conversation because yeah. there's so much you can share. So I am familiar with three of the main characters, two yeah. being a transracial Shall I say international uh-huh. adoptees? Uh, I think transnational intercountry is from adoptees who I've interviewed more, uh, more you more often used nowadays. Okay, thank you. Country or transnational. Thank you for that. And Ha mm-hmm. remained in Vietnam. And uh-huh. would you say Ha was a kinship adoption? Yeah. Okay. She was um, adopted by her 
biological aunt and her aunt's partner. Right. One of the lines that struck me first off was when you write, but I have also long known that a nonfiction story is fragile, sometimes seemingly more unbelievable than fiction. Like that spoke to me because each time I sit with adoptees and have conversations about their lived experience, I always, like, it's fragile. Like, it's emotional labor on their part. Your words really spoke to me. Yeah. And I know this was a five-year journey to be with the adoptees, the, the identical twins, and... And Olivia. Uh huh. Where, where She's do you, the third sister. Yeah. Yes. Where do you want to start with the whole process that you went through and, and what you learned? Yeah. So I mentioned that line about fairy tales because obviously adoption narratives and, and reunion narratives and twin stories are framed so often as fairy tales fairy tale journeys, right, in our culture, particularly in the mainstream kind of media or Hollywood. We've seen that over 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 and over, even in literature and novels, children's movies. And the reality that I have come to understand, you know, from speaking to these adoptees in the book, adoptees from all over the world who are activists or scholars or psychologists. Uh, you know, I've just come to understand all of the different layers. I mean, I will never understand fully because I'm not an adoptee, right? But I do understand that there's a lot of complexity and pain and trauma as well. Um, and certainly the history of adoption in this country and over, and, you know, we talk about intercountry adoption has a dark and troubled history and reunion as well can be painful, traumatic, and have rippling effects that go well beyond the people who are being reunited. Um, like if it's the twins, for example, there are many other people whose lives are, are involved in this and who have their own stories and their own pain associated with adoption and reunion. So it was important to me to convey that complexity and not frame this book as another fairy tale narrative of twins being reunited, because I'm sure you've heard that story before, and I'm sure you've seen that on TV. I even have a moment in the book where I recount a pair of twins being reunited on TV, and they're 10, and it becomes like this sort of spectacle. They were, they're both adopted, you know, transnationally adopted twins. And, you know, that becomes a spectacle, a media spectacle, but there's something very intrusive and also oversimplifying about that right. approach to thinking about reunion and adoption. And so I wanted to be able to give voice to the people who've been doing this work for decades, honestly. Adoptees have been speaking out for decades. And they're not always heard in the mainstream outlets, although maybe that is changing now. But um, I wanted to give voice to the history as well. Um, and I wanted to really center the stories of the adoptees in the narrative um, and also the families, you know, the families that are affected and all drawn into this narrative as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a complicated structure and it was not like a linear kind of 
simple beginning, middle, and end where everybody lives happily ever after and it's over. Right. What was the most difficult part of 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 writing this story? The most difficult part was, you know, I'm, I was holding everybody's stories for many years, uh, and I had spent many years reporting these stories. I did go through the end of the process, like going over the stories with the people to make sure that they felt okay. And I particularly was concerned about the adoptees because, um, you know, again, it's their story and it's not always, it's not always a happy story. There are moments that there is a lot of joy, but I was worried about them, although they always seemed very strong and certain in their stories. So I felt confident after going through it with them. Um, but the adoptive mother in the book really saw it all differently. It has been very upset with me through the process, through the end. In her words, which I do include in the end of the book, I she thought that I focused on a dark story instead of a beautiful one. I mean, that's not the exact quote. It's in the end of the book. But that was because, you know, I had talked about a lot of the pain or the dark history, like I mentioned, um, the racism, the, you know, the scandals that go with adoption history, the, you know, just these parts that are not um, beautiful to look at or to think about that are make us uncomfortable. And when she came to understand all of that, that was also in the book, she was really not happy with me because I think in her mind and, you know, going into it, I didn't know what I was getting into either. Right. Um, I thought it was a twin reunion story. I didn't know how complicated it would get and how much, how deeply I would get into adoption history and all of this. But certainly that's the hardest part has been her kind of anger at me and how do I, you know, deal out with that and also make sure that the sisters are okay with that too, you know. So mm-hmm. it's been complicated because these are real life people. They're really okay with the way you presented their story. I went through their story. They knew everything that they said in the book for a long time before it ever came out. Mm -hmm. And so that doesn't mean that they haven't had probably difficult moments with, um, I'm sure, you know, I would rather them talk about it. (laughs) I would love them to talk about it (laughs) if they ever, because I, since I'm not in it at all, I've heard from them for sure. And they've been supportive, um, even you know, and after, after everything, very like supportive and noting their pride and things like that. But I do also have a quote in the end of the book that says for an adoptee to share their story for a transracial adoptee, it means, and this is um, from, I think, Angela Tucker, who's writing a book about transracial adoption and is very vocal in the community. It also can involve hurting somebody, you know, it might, be hurtful to somebody to know the truth of sort of the difficulties of that experience, right? Right. And I think that is something that they also have grappled with, you know? Yeah. The reason I asked that is because, myself included, but adoptees that I've talked to have said that we feel really at ease with one another when we share yeah. 
our stories. Like we, you know, we don't tense up necessarily. We don't feel like we can't say this or that. Like we feel like it's a safe place when it's just adoptees. So when we are in the company of adoptive parents, birth parents, mainstream, it's a whole different feeling in our bodies. Um, because some of our parts of our story aren't so bright and yeah. Yeah. And so that, that was my concern about the uh, young women opening up. It's still like, it's not just for adoptees, right? Your book is, Yeah. yeah, it's bigger than that. And, and I do think we need to tell our stories yeah. in the like on the like stage for the world um yeah because that's the only way that the the true narrative is known yeah and i think that like i i think that they had incredible courage and i said that many times mm-hmm. um and also if they didn't want to tell their stories to me there was no way that i was gonna force them to i you know and i also I, I know that who they've become is something that they are proud of. And I think that that is something that made them also want to share uh, because they did share deeply, you know, deeply personal things. And they knew that it was going into a book always. Mm-hmm. And they knew what it would look like um, when it came into book form as far as their own personal stories. Um, they hadn't been through everybody else's stories necessarily or all the history chapters or science chapters right but they certainly knew what their stories were that was important and I think it's you know from what I have talked you know again I wouldn't want to speak for them but I think the most um, meaningful some of the most meaningful feedback has been from adoptees supporting their their voice you know and I think that's really important and I hope that they hear from adoptees connect with them to the ones that are reading it um, because I know that that matters to them. So hopefully if adoptees read it and feel compelled and connected to them, you know, they can, I don't know, it's not necessarily write them or something, but like find a way to express that. I think that that's important for them. It really matters to yeah. them. Yeah. What was it that sparked your interest in these this particular story? Well, I had, like I said, I had had twins myself and then I had been writing about twin research and there was a twin researcher in California that connected me to a bunch of twin pairs and I was connected to them. And I grew up in a Midwestern town um, in Illinois, not too far from where the adopted sisters were raised. And my experience of being an Asian American in that town at that time was not easy. I was often bullied. And my mom is white, so I'm mixed race, but present, a, you know, as Asian American people don't necessarily know that I'm mixed. So especially in that environment, I was often, you know, bullied and put through different things. And so immediately I felt like there could be a connection with the sisters because um, if their experience was anything like mine, I, I kind of understood where that would come from. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, that certainly was true. Um, although they're of a very different generation, I'm much older. 
but they still endured the bullying, if not worse, actually definitely worse. Uh, and these questions around identity, and we talked about that many times. Um, and and that was so that was one part of it that I felt connected to. I'm not an adoptee, as I said, but I I had crossover experience. I think that um, I felt we had some shared experiences as Asian American kind of or Asian Americans who are sort of on that um, have never quite felt like enough in right. some capacity. Yeah. Right? Um, and I think with mixed people and adoptees who are transracially adopted, there are these similar themes that sometimes run through our lives or maybe having a parent who doesn't move through the world the way we do in the same way or see the world in the same way all the time because the world doesn't see them in the same way. Mm-hmm. And I think that is there are things that we grow up really thinking about and they affect who we become and they affect our identity and they affect a lot of things in our lives. And that was true. That was true. I had that connection, especially with Isabella. And, and then, so, you know, that was personal. There's a twin part of it. The research about nature, nurture, certainly I was interested in like genes versus environment. What is, how much, you know, those questions, which twin studies have often told us the girls do eventually become part of a twin study. Then there's, of course, the twin who was born in Vietnam. I mean, who was raised in Vietnam. And I got to know her story. And while I don't have the same story as her, her story was incredibly compelling. It is incredibly compelling. And she is just a real special person. Um, So all of these different stories drew me in. And I knew that there was a way to talk about the larger picture of identity, uh, um, nature, nurture. And then the, the adoption research was newer to me. But there was, of course, there have been many, many years of research and and critical adoption studies, for example, um, that I was able to delve into. And so that became another layer of the book that was really important. It was the social context of how do we get here Mm. and why are these things the way they are? And I can't leave that out. And I think these were some of the parts that, you know, if it was written by the adoptive mother, it would have been left out, right? Right, right. Um, I can't, I can't leave that out. It's, it's critical to our understanding. It's like thinking about how, if we think about race in America, we don't understand the like racial hierarchies in our society. Like we just think it all is the way it is. And it's the way it is, but we don't think about how we got here, the history of racial oppression, or for example, in America and slavery and, you know, all these things, they're all intertwined to, and they matter for habit to how we became like oh many of the issues that we're dealing with now right mm-hmm. so i needed to give that social context to people who were reading it otherwise they're just reading a personal story about twin reunions and and adoption without the context of what adoption means for us in the u.s and also transnationally yeah yeah i feel like you covered so much like I'm so interested in finishing the book because so far I'm I'm like there's so many layers here that are so important like all of it is important and just the fact that you learn so much about the adoption community in your time putting everything together putting your words together I can't help but think that the women also learned 
over these those five years about the adoption mm-hmm. community, right? Yeah. Yeah. And what would you yeah. say? Oh, go ahead. Okay. Oh, I was just going to say, like, I would come across podcasts or, like, adoptee podcasts, by the way, or I would come across different books or articles or research papers even, and I did send those. I even Facebook groups, for example, that I'm not even a part of, <laughs> but that I people told me about these different adopting Facebook, and I would send them, you know, to them, so they also knew some of the resources that I had been paying attention to, um, and also because you know they're not journalists, so like they're not necessarily like looking for every little piece right. of information out there at the moment. They're, they're younger, they're busy, they're in college, you know, they're busy. But I did, I did try to do that with them, and and one particular thing that I did, which I think maybe not all journalists would do this, but the sisters, I don't know if you got far enough in the book yet, but they eventually discover that they're not U.S. citizens. That's, I'm talking about Olivia and Isabella, and they had spent their whole life believing they were, but because there is a loophole within the law in this country, a lot, a large group of adoptees who are came from overseas from other countries were never made American citizens. Some of them have been deported. And again, imagine growing up in America, you have your whole family, your whole life. Some of them have been married, have kids here. And for reasons like, you know, it might be um, something that is on their record or they commit a, a crime, but that's been years past, they get deported. Right. And, in one case, there was a young man who was deported to Korea, and he committed suicide, you know, in this country that had no resources for him. He had no family. He had nothing there to speak the language. And they come to find out that they are the sisters, that they're not citizens either. Now, they eventually do get to become citizens through their mother's help, and they make that happen. I did connect them with a group called um, Adoptees for Justice, which is based in Chicago. And they're also based, you know, near Chicago. And they were at the time. Now they are. And, you know, they started getting involved with that group. And that was like, again, a connection that I made that some journals would be like, well, that's not my job to do that and whatever. But like, it was clear to me that there could be a connection there because this is an issue that was really important. I mean, they, the Adoptees for Justice are pushing for um, and have been able to get uh, legislation passed, but it hasn't fully passed. It's been, it's not yet fully approved, but that would ensure that many of these adoptees are given citizenship, but it's not yet a hundred percent, but that's what they've been working on for years. Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah, that's just a little side note. Well, I'm glad you shared that because that again speaks to how many things you bring to the forefront that are so important like that's heartbreaking that an adoptee brought to the U.S. is not a citizen especially if they believe they are they get to be Mm -hmm. an adult and they realize that whatever happened with the paperwork yeah was not complete yeah and it has been devastating for people yeah you know and uh, and there are adoptees really working on this really but you know it's like off, it's been ignored too, you know, because, mm-hmm. you know, so 
so that becomes a chapter in the book. It becomes something that well, again, how do we get here? You right. know, so you're going to need the context. You're going to need the journals to come in and give you the research here, because otherwise, you're just going to hear, oh, one day they decided they woke up and they realized they're not citizens and they're 18. And um, how did we get here? You have to know that. So that was where I come in, kind of explaining and doing the interviews to find that out. Would you say that was one of the things you learned about the adoption community that came as a surprise? Oh, yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think a lot of people, even adoptees, don't know because they didn't know, you mm-hmm. know, and their families didn't know. And I get people writing me who've read the book who are like, oh, could this, could I be in this boat? I didn't even know, you know? Right. And so, again, the awareness People don't always have that because it's not been out there mainstream all the time. There certainly are journal, good journalists and adoptees who are very vocal who've been writing about this. But, you know, there's been a film. It's still, it takes, you know, just sharing that information. For the sisters bravely choosing to share the stories about their adoption, but also their citizenship journey, hopefully more people will learn about these issues. Yes. Yeah, I didn't know about some adoptees not having citizenship until maybe yeah. three or four years ago. Yeah, yeah. And I'm also aware that, going back to the sisters, I think a lot of adoptees, well, I know a lot of them are just becoming better connected to the adoption community. Right. Well into, like, adulthood. Yeah. And, yeah, cause, and we're all still very much learning probably on a regular yeah. basis, something new. Yeah. Are there yeah. any other things that surprised you during your research? Let's see. I think that was certainly a surprise, and it's a, it comes as a surprise in the book um, because I don't think it, anybody, it's sort of like a twist that people didn't know was coming. And as far as other surprising things, I mean, I guess, I mean, some of the twin research, I think, when you start to go down the route of twin research and and also adoptee research, there have been studies throughout history of twins and adoptees separated from birth families, and people have tried to study the them to understand how much their genes matter in creating you know behavior, but also your intellect or whatever that might be. And this has led down some really dark and ugly routes, like. Um, you know, eugenics supporters have been very involved in twin studies and adoptee studies, actually. Um, so people who, I mean, even Nazi Germany, um, like tortured twins, and all in the name of trying to understand their genes in order to create more superior race, right? And so when you start to get into like the nature nurture stuff and and how twins and adoptees have been used throughout history in these studies, right? And these studies that have often been led by racist people who are really interested in the gene part because of, you know, their interest in, in eugenics, for example. Uh, that's dark. It's again dark, mm-hmm. <laughs> and this is not a fairy tale story about twins here that I'm telling you, but but it's the truth, right? And and it, and when you start to, I think, go too deeply into one side uh, or the other, even behaviorism has also had some really ugly experiments 
you know, it has led down some really uncomfortable and um, even horrific paths. And I think um, people don't always know that about, you know, we sort of just look at twins and twin studies and twin studies are, are often used to understand, you know, the role of genes, right? In many, many things about our behavior. There's also, um, you know, a, a dark past that we should be aware of with some of this science too. Mm-hmm. I know growing up, I would hear nurture versus nature. Like, yeah. and, and as I got older and, and really was interested in knowing my biological connection. So we're talking like four de- decades later, I yeah. began to cringe when I would hear nature versus nurture. Yeah. I started to, to embrace nature and nurture. Like I don't want to yeah. say versus. And, I, and I've been hearing that in, through you too, that, that you're kind of, yeah. yeah, you lean into that. I do. And I, that's like also one of the themes of the book because it's not either or, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, it's, it's a, there's a relationship between nature and nurture. And, you know, that actually speaks to one of the larger themes too of the book, which is around destiny and fate. So a lot of adoption narratives, if told from the parents kind of perspective, the adoptive parents have been framed around these ideas of um, not just fairy tales, but predetermined fate, like it was meant to be, like you were meant to be my child, and everything happened the way it was going to be, because it was written, kind of that approach. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the sort of idea of fate. Um, but then, and, and you could say that genes are also part of that idea of fate. Like if your genes are what they are, then you're going to be who you're going to be no matter what, and there's nothing changing it. Um, and that seems oversimplified, right? Um, but yet we have many narratives about adoption, for example, that um, rely on the theme of fate overwhelmingly. And yet then we also have this idea of destiny, which is about having some choice in your fate, like you can steer some of your destiny. And if you put the environment in there, then yeah, that environment, you make choices in your environment based on your environment. Choices are made on your behalf. Um, but there's some power, there's wiggle room, so you're not just your genes. Um, and Ha would often talk to me about destiny and fate, and so would Isabella. Um, and Ha would talk about being raised Buddhist and how she believed in reincarnation. And she believed that, you know, what you did in a past life mattered to the life you have been born into. But she also believed, like, it wasn't all just going to be the way it's going to be. Like, she had some... Uh, control. She had some control over her destiny. So she was really in her own mind, you know, thinking about there is fate and there is destiny. There's both. Mm-hmm. There's genes and there's environment. There's both. They interact with each other. And she's not a scientist, you know, <laughs> but she gets that. And she got that complexity. And I think when you talk about genes and environment, it's the same thing. Like there is a very complex interplay between both forces, but it's not it's not as simple as it's one or the other. Right. Even as we try to make it that simple sometimes in our heads. Well, I'm I'm just interested in finishing the book. I'm looking forward to that. And I just think that the listeners will be intrigued and interested in, in reading it as well. I love your writing style. And already I'm picking up things that I'm just sitting with that you've written that I've read so far 
So I will definitely include the links in the show notes so people can get a copy of your book. And I just have a couple more questions. Sure. I'm interested in knowing how you decided on the title. I like it. That was sort of out of my control. (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah, unfortunately, like, the editors always thought that was a good title and I don't know um, it's a good title some more sisters I like it's it's it makes sense because mm. um they didn't necessarily know where they were where each other was you know most much of their lives um the subtitle adoption identity and meaning family I wasn't quite sure it's I felt like there's no subtitle that could really capture everything in the book accurately so I was sort of I sort of wish that there wasn't a subtitle, but I didn't have control over it <laughs> because I felt like there is a lot going on in the book and it's not just like, it's not just a happy fairy tale story. So um, the title maybe would convey that, but that's, that's again, maybe them thinking like, who's going to pick up the book? I don't know. <laughs> I wish I had more control over that. Well, that kind of brings me me to my next question, which is adoptees in in our circles with one another in conversation about writing our stories, our memoirs, and, and letting people know what our experience was. We wonder why mainstream isn't necessarily picking up our books. And, yeah. and so... Would you have any comment about your, like, your thoughts about that? Yeah, you know, I sort of even feel that with this um, book. (laughs) The adoptee community has been incredibly supportive. Um, And I have been able to get into mainstream outlets as a journalist. Like, sometimes that's, I've been also a freelancer for 10 years. So I have, like, you know, I know how to pitch, like, an article and be like, hey, I could do this, I could do that. You know, that's sort of what I do I know most people don't necessarily have those abilities right but even with me having all of those connections I think it's been still really hard for people to wrap their minds around this book and so they ignore it and I've been trying to figure that out like I think and I and this is just me speculating but I think that and also not just speculating actually it's going through this whole process right because I think I was able to write this book because on the face of it, people are like, oh, twin reunion. And that's, you know, same kind of thing. Like that's the narrative that they might think is like popular. And then when I get into the stuff that's complicated and, and the adoptive mom is not happy because she thinks it's like one story and the other. And even the people who are the editors or, you know, it, they might think, well, this is, uh, this is way more complicated than I thought. Right. And, or, how is the public going to get this? Mm-hmm. How is the mainstream public going to understand? Because they do have this narrative about adoption and twins that is ingrained. And so, you know, people don't quite know what to make of it. And so I think that in many ways, it's also not, you know, easy to get this book into the mainstream, even with all the mainstream sort of connections that I've sort of built over the years as a freelancer, right? Mm-hmm. I think within our society, adoption narratives, they've made that idea of the fairy tale is so ingrained. And that goes across publishing, media, just, it's just there. Well, you know, so if there's a, yeah, go ahead. No, I'm sorry, go ahead. 
Oh, and I just think like complicating that, it makes people uncomfortable. They don't know what to make of it. So in some ways, I think people just turn away. You know, they don't have to engage and they just might turn away. And I think that unfortunately that's maybe happens. That's adoptee. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting to, for someone to think, what does this have to do with me? Because, you know, like when I right. like I love true stories, I yeah. love hearing about all kinds of true stories. It has really nothing to do. Like, that's why I want to hear because it has nothing to do with me. And yeah. And, <laughs> and so, right. yeah, I'm just interested in knowing because like when you share and I appreciate that about the adoptive mom, like being so uncomfortable, like in 2022, it's just mind boggling to me that we have adoptive parents, um, some, sure not all, that are uncomfortable with the fact, like the real true fact of an adoptee's lived experience. You know, like when I have conversations with adoptees my age and older, who have all this lived experience as as an adopted person because you never stop being a, an adoptee. Uh, yeah. Like, why wouldn't people want to know, wow, like, I never thought about it like that. You know, the trauma and so forth and managing reunions and all of that. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's just, I, I don't, I feel like it's something else. Like, it's something else. Yeah. Is it? You know, because we can hear some really hard, dark stories. People watch them all the time. They're made into movies all the time. And something about this subject is still being left behind. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, I mean, you probably have thought about that even. I mean, what do you think? Why do you think that might be? Because it it does seem that that is true from what I've... um, Yeah, I I think... Like, I'm thinking of my adoptive parents, more so my mom. Yeah. She never dealt with her pain. And I know all adoptive yeah. parents were not unable to conceive, you know. Um, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But I'm thinking of those that weren't. That I can probably speak on. And, and I think in my personal situation, the trauma that she experienced, like, I wouldn't have been her daughter had she been able to have children, you know. Yeah. Um, they adopted because they could not have, my parents could not have children. So I consider that a trauma. And, yeah. and I, I believe, I never really talked to my mother about it, but I believe that she never dealt with that trauma. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah now, like, you got trauma on trauma, right? You got right, me right. as a relinquished person and then her trauma and, and, and if this is the experience of some adoptive parents, yeah, then yeah, this is really painful. Like, like I just don't yeah. even want to deal with that subject, you know. Sure. I don't want to read an adoptee's book. I don't want to hear yeah. what they have to say on a podcast. So I that's yeah. that's what I can contribute to to it. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense, and it is. It's painful, I think, because a lot of adoptive parents are also going into it with all of the best intentions you know, and love, mm-hmm. but probably they don't ever, well, no parent wants to to have their child go through hardship. Um, yeah. And then to hear from adoptees who 
have gone through hardship. That's hard, right? Yeah. And I think maybe just as an overall society, we also think of, again, because we think of adoption in one way, like it's the narrative of the better life, right? Yeah. Because that's what has been conveyed. And I've also heard from adoptees saying that, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily, adoption doesn't necessarily give you a better life, but it gives you a different life. Right. And that's challenging, I think, for people to wrap their head around too. Well, wait a minute, but wouldn't your life be better? And then it gets into this like comparison and, and it again breaks the simple narrative. And for some people, it's too hard. It's too hard to think that way because it, puts you in an uncomfortable place yeah it's too much um, it's like too much yeah. it's too much let me just yeah, turn it. let's talk about something else <laughs> right and if you want to like it's not necessarily a subject that people are going to choose to engage in unless you know they have some interest maybe or but if they're going to be made uncomfortable especially around a narrative that is so so much pushed to be something that makes us feel good mm-hmm. right um, yeah then why engage in it? Why buy, like you said, listen to the stories or buy the books or the memoirs? I think it's a really good point. And I think it's, you know, but, you know, I also have to say there's so many adoptees speaking like yourself, like with the podcast, with the Twitter, with the TikTok, mm-hmm. <laughs> with uh, writers who are doing their story, writing their memoirs, doing their stories in different ways and expressing themselves that it is you know these things i guess don't happen overnight right and so it's a collection of all the voices that will break through i think um, and have been breaking through to the mainstream that at some point maybe that people will understand like okay now i get what this complexity is all about i think so too yeah and that's how i'm i'm looking at it that keeps me optimistic because i know certain things take time and yeah and if you don't if you don't like expect it to happen overnight it doesn't mean that it's not moving the needle forward you know like that's how i kind of wrap my mind around it and and we'll look up one day and see how far we've come i think we've come a long way when i think about you writing your book and publishing it and and Gabriel and and others yeah. um i i know that that's so helpful to our community yeah. i i know it is and and we just have to continue to to show up and be a part of it yeah and to be honest like Gabriel and as myself as well we're we're journalists um but without the work and the voices of adoptees speaking their stories like we wouldn't know that this is the story. This is the way the story is, right? I needed to hear from the experts to understand it. And also the people who've been doing the research and the scholarship, like critical adoption studies has been around for decades. And, yeah, you know, they've been talking about this for years and years <laughs> and years. Um, right. And, but yeah, journalists don't haven't always picked it up in that way. Um, but because all the voices are there, if you're any, if you're going to do any research at all, the voices are there. And there's so, no excuse, is it? There's no <laughs> excuse. Well, I, um, I really thank not. you. Yeah, I thank you for your interest, and I can, it means a lot to to us. Like I, I talk to adoptees pretty much every day, and um, you know, are in support meetings, Zoom meetings, you name it, and it means so much for people to be interested. 
and what happened to yeah. us. And and I think of Paul Sunderland. I just seem to mention him on every episode. So forgive me, listeners. But <laughs> when he, t- I don't know if you're familiar with him, but when he took an interest, you know, his adoption addiction research has just so been so powerful for us. Uh, because he was just dealing with the fact that he was seeing adoptees overrepresented in yeah. addiction. And he said, wait a minute, some, what's going on? And then he just did a just a deep dive into what happened to us. And, yeah. oh, it was just like, he's really yeah. interested in what happened to yeah. us. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, is yeah, there... I mean, I... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to ask you, is there, you know, as we close, wrap it up, and I don't know, this has just been great for me. I can feel it in my body um, because I just sensed that you cared. When I first talked to you some weeks ago and we did that Zoom, I could tell, I could feel your energy um, that that the work you've done as it relates to um, relinquishment and adoption and reunion that it was important to you. And, yeah. and so, yeah, I just want to value your time. And in closing, is there anything that you want to share that I didn't ask you? No, I mean, I think, I think the work is important to me. And I think that like when you're a journalist of the way, if you get as deeply into a story as I have or into people's lives, which is what I do often, it's it's impossible to not take on those stories inside your own body. And like, I certainly, a lot of trauma, sometimes I feel like I absorb it and live with it and it, it mingles with my own trauma. You yeah, know, it yeah. triggers things for me that are like connected in some way. And so this was certainly incredibly hard because of different things, but also emotionally. And so I, I did come, to, but I did, I do feel like like I wanted to handle everybody's stories with care, including the adoptive mother. You know, like I didn't want to make her um, any kind of villain or anything like that. I also didn't want to make her like a savior. Right. I just wanted to make her a human because I think we're all just like complex humans who we make mistakes. We we don't always do everything the way we would have done it if we could look back. You know, we are complicated people and that's what humanity is about and the story is like as I told her I think and I told the sisters and the sisters told me you know there's beauty and there is pain in everybody's life and so I that is all represented but certainly as a writer that is something that I often internalize too and so yeah I just hope that people also connect with the sisters and recognize their courage in telling their stories and that that's not easy and also to not, you know, oversimplify anything in their stories because I think at the end of the day, anytime somebody tells their story, they're hoping to tell it so that it makes a difference for somebody else who maybe needs to hear it, you know, or needs to feel connected or needs to feel like they're not alone in something. And so I hope that that is also a way that people read that book with compassion and empathy for the people in it. Thank you for sharing that. And yeah, I think good journalism is going to have a little of this, a little of that's not going to be just one side. It's not going to be just all feel good or like you say, um, a fairy tale. It's just not. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not a fairy tale, but there is um, there is the beauty and the pain and everything else in between in the story. And, and yeah, I appreciate you engaging with it and your listeners as well. Yes, thank you so much for having this conversation with me. Thank you. Thank you for having me. My time with Erica was an absolute joy, to say the least, before, during, and after our recording. I can only imagine how much sweat and tears went into writing Somewhere Sisters. From the start, I felt her sincere and genuine desire for adoptees to be seen. Through her words, I recognize the lasting connection that she has made in our adoption community. As a professor in the literary journalism department at the University of California, Irvine, Erica spent hundreds of hours interviewing the sisters and their first and adoptive families, tracing the girls' diverging childhoods in the suburbs of America and the villages of Vietnam, and following them from their much-anticipated yet fraught reunion through the complicated years that followed. A Link to Somewhere Sisters, a story of adoption, identity, and the meaning of family can be found in the show notes. Thank you, Erica, for reaching out to me to have this conversation. I appreciate your talent as a journalist and the willingness to take on the enormous task of becoming acquainted with adoptees, the community, and the research behind all the associated topics of relinquishment and adoption. I'm certain that adoptees around the world can appreciate your passion for making a literary contribution with us in mind by centering our voice in the narrative. If you are an adoptee and would like to share your adoption journey, please visit JenniferDianeGolston.com. Thank you so much for being here.